I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching on Saturday. I'm teaching about the covenant, which is the exact same word as testament in the New Testament. It is this word, diathike. Covenant and testament, same word. And it means last will and testament. Now, when is the last will and testament in effect? When is it in effect? It's in effect when the person that drew it up dies. So Jesus has a last will and testament for us. Let me read the rest of this title. Covenant or testament is a promise. Promise is the word epangelia in the Greek New Testament. It comes from two, well, one word with a prefix. It comes from epi, and A-A-G-G-E-L-O-S. Remember the word angelos? It's the word angel in the Bible. But goodness sakes, we have really corrupted that word angel. It does not mean an angel. It means messenger or message. And this is the word promise. And it comes from epi. Now, epi is a common prefix in the Greek. You remember, I've used that many times. In fact, we said that the orge of man, orge, O-R-G-E-T-A, O-R-G-E in English, that it was epi, Pharaoh, placed upon men by God. Epi means to place to Pharaoh means to place epi upon. When Peter commanded the Pharisees, or the, excuse me, the Jews at Pentecost, they were cut to the heart when he told them about Christ being resurrected, and he rebuked them, and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name. That doesn't mean be baptized, dip into water. In is the word epi. It means either means upon or to cover with. And there's three words for in in the Greek, three common words, epi and E-I-S and E-N. E-N or E-N. And es and en and none of these these are words used with baptize and epi means upon or to cover over or to superimpose so when Peter says repent and be baptized covering with or superimposing. To superimpose means to place something on top of. Superimposing the name. Name is the word onoma in the Greek. 
And name, Onoma, means, it means authority. So he's not talking about water. He's saying cover with the authority of Christ. Ice, or ease, however you want to pronounce it, I don't care. Ice is the word that Jesus used in the Great Commission. There in Matthew 28, 18, 19, 28. And he commanded, he, Jesus said, Go into all the world, teach all nations, baptizing them in. It means to sink into. Ice. To sink into has, has by definition the same meaning as in duo. In duo, it means to sink into clothing. But it doesn't mean to take the clothing off. Sink into clothing. That's the same word as many of you has been baptized into Christ have put on. In duo is the word put on. Galatians 3.27, put on. You put on Christ. Well, the only clothing which is going to go with this message of the covenant is blood, not water, blood. And when you look at Revelation 7, Revelation 7, the Bible says, uh, John was John saw this great throng around the throne of God in heaven. And the angel comes to John and said, Do you know who these are? And John said, No, I don't. He said, You know. And the angel said, These are those who have come out of great tribulation and have made their robes white in the blood of Christ. In the blood. So we're clothed with the blood of Christ. And they're, it's white robes, and that's always the color of righteousness. So, that's in Revelation 7. And so when we sink into clothing, ice, then that takes us to E-N. That word means with or by. With or by when used with an infinitive. An infinitive is a verbal noun. Even when you look up the word baptize in these, um, in these books by these brilliant men, you look in McClinic and Strong at baptize, and the first paragraph he will tell you Mr. Strong will tell you that baptize is a verbal noun. It is not a verb. A verb shows action. Verb shows action. Or you have being verbs, state of being, state of being. That's like be as am, was, were, and so forth. A verb showing action. So, when the translators came to the word baptize, it kind of drove them crazy, and they said, we don't know what to do. We'll just change this noun into a verb. What do you mean verbal noun? It means there's a fluid coming from an outer source upon the subject, and it stains, it covers him, And it stains and dyes him. 
it stains and dyes him. And baptize comes from two words, baptizo. Baptizo and bapto. When you look up, this is what amazes me. I looked this up years ago, and I was stymied by it. I couldn't figure out what what do they mean. And it says, baptizo means to whelm. To whelm does not mean to immerse. It means to overcome something with a quilt, with a tarp, with a fluid, with blood. It means to just literally shower something over. That's why the Bible says we are elected to obey God, to obedience. This is in 1 Peter 1 and 2. We're elected to obedience and the sprinkling of blood. See, until you study baptism, you're going to have any idea what that verse means. You're not going to know what the sprinkling of blood is. To sprinkle blood means to bring a, to bring a fluid from an outer source upon the subject. That's a sprinkling. That's the same thing as an infinitive. It's bringing a fluid from an outer source upon the individual. I do not believe in water baptism. There's one baptism. It has to be blood, Ephesians 4 and 5. There's one baptism now. There used to be many baptisms, but they were all nailed to the cross with Christ. Blotting out all the rituals, the handwriting of ordinances, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. When they did away with one contract, they take the subjects out in public, the two original contractors. I've said this so many times, but this is so important with this message. They'd bring the two witnesses and the two contracting parties that had the original contract. Says so everybody agreed, witnesses, were you there at the original contract? Yes. Are you agreed that we're going to invalidate this contract? They say yes, and they drive a nail through it. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, it was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And all the rituals of the Old Testament are done away with, including baptism, including literal Passover. The literal Passover has to do with eating Let me go ahead. Covenant is a promise, a pangalia, that's placed upon God's elect, and those are the ones that he stains and dies. When you look at babto, it says to stain with a die. When you're looking up baptizo, baptize, in a concordance, it'll say see give you a number and you look at it and it'll say babto to stain and to die when I first looked that up I thought I don't understand this that was 30-40 years ago what is this staining with the dye <coughs> and I studied baptism thoroughly the water was a proselyte Pharisee baptism 
It was simply something that brought people into Israel. That's why Jesus was washed in water. The Pharisees said, if a man will be circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves, we'll have to listen to him. That's why he was washed, because they kept calling him a Samaritan from northern Galilee, simply because he was born in, he was born in Bethlehem, but raised in Nazareth. Of course, he went over to Egypt when the wise men came, and Herod gave the decree to kill everybody, all the male children. So he goes over to Egypt, comes back, and settles in Nazareth, so that the child won't be killed, because he thought, Herod thought, whoever this newborn child is going to take over my throne, and all the little boys in Israel were killed. And Rachel was weeping for her children. Now, we like to obedience in the sprinkling of blood. First Peter 1 and 2. First Peter 1 and 2. 1 and verse 2. And I hadn't any idea what the sprinkling blood. I bet there's not a Baptist preacher or a Pentecostal preacher in America can explain the sprinkling of blood. Well, I say, we're washed in the blood of Christ. Are you washed in the blood in the sun? They don't even know a blood baptism was a death. When you look that up, look up blood in the McClinican Strong. And at the end of the article... At the end of the article, let me see if I got it here. You just take McClinic and Strong, look up blood. Blood, let me see here. This is such a magnificent set of books. You can get it free on the internet. You can't hardly find them anywhere. Hold on here. I like to do this kind of blood. Here it is. Blood baptism. I didn't make it up. Blood baptism. The early church, one devoted to martyrdom. Being a martyr or being killed for saying the truth. Without baptism was reckoned among the catechumens, which was the teachings Martyrdom being regarded as a full substitute was therefore styled blood baptism. To be a martyr for telling the truth. And we are blood baptized now. And there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And it doesn't have anything to do with being sprinkled or washed with water. That was a proselyte process. I've gone through that. I've got hundreds of tapes on baptism now and that last word when it's used with an infinitive means with or by in Acts the 10th chapter verses 47 and 48 Peter was telling the story about going to the house of Cornelius and he commanded them or he first thing he said and everybody will just go. They use this verse to try to prove water baptism. Who can forbid water that these should not be baptized who receive the Holy Ghost as well as we? It's not what it says in the Greek text. It doesn't say who can forbid water. The only way I can explain this is put the Pharisee baptism on the board. 
the Pharisees said you had to be circumcised. This is a part of their halakha, their verbal law. It was something they made up themselves. It was a law just like a law you have down here at the city hall. They pass a law. You can only go 30 miles an hour right outside the church here on Gallatin Road. That was a law. There was nothing wrong with the Pharisees making up a law. They said if you're going to come to Israel and you're going to come from Rome or Greece or over here in what they called Asia Minor, we call it Turkey, and you want to come over here and become a member of the kingdom of God, which what, what Israel was called the kingdom of God, then you had to be circumcised, washed in water. They call that a new birth because you had to forsake all your language, all your money, leave everything at home, come over here and start from scratch and take allegiance to Jehovah, the God of Israel. And they said, if you'd be washed, circumcised, washed in water and offer two turtle doves, two turtle doves, that you, that was the, that was the naturalization process. Naturalization. If you live in Europe and you want to come to America and become a citizen here, you have to first get a green card. And that green card will give you all the rights if you can pass whatever laws. You don't have everything, anything in your background of thievery or being in prison or anything like that or killing anybody. Then you get a green card, and you can apply for citizenship. You'll have to go before some committee, and having read certain things and answer questions about America, may have you quote the preamble or something like that. I'm not sure. I need to look up naturalization. But if you do all of that, you could become a member of the kingdom of God or Israel. Now, so this, let me look up here again. So covenant is a promise at Pangalia. It's given only to God's elect. We, the word hope, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope means it's the word E-L-P-I-S comes from E-L-P-I-Z-O and it means to depend upon a promise. Faith, we depend upon the promise God made. We believe God's going to do what He said by taking us into heaven. But if we believe Him, so, so we depend upon His promises. He also promised us tribulation in the world. You shall have tribulation. That's a promise. Uh, he promised that we would have persecution. Although we live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He promised that. So we can depend on these promises. Hope does not mean you get to make up the promises. I hope I get this. I hope I get a new car. That's not a promise. Promise is placed. A promise is made by the stronger party. In a contract. In a covenant. Covenant is like, it's just a promise about dying. 
That's what it's about. He's promised us that we have to take our cross and die daily. He's given given us imperative moods. And they are promises to us that when we do this, when we deny self, promises are associated with commands. Any man that will come after you has to deny self and take up his cross and follow me. And that's not, that's not invitations. That is like a promise because take, deny, and follow are all imperative commands. Just like when God says, let there be light, it's the same thing. Let there be light. That's imperative. That's going to happen. So when he says, deny or nail mine, you will. In this covenant, covenant is a two-way, it's a two sides. It's just like a contract. The stronger of the parties, God, makes the conditions and says, you will obey me. You cannot say, I have a covenant, I have a covenant, and God's promising me this or that, and I don't have any obligation in it. Yes, you do. If you have a covenant with God, He's picked you out and say, you have to die to your ways and obey my ways. And when we do that, we do that by drinking the cup, we taste death. That's how we go about partaking of God's covenant. This is a two-way street. Any fine time you find God promising, like Deuteronomy 28, this is, it doesn't say covenant, but that's what it is. It's even referred to as a covenant. There's two sides to this party. God who says, Obey my statutes and commandments. And commandments. If you obey my statutes and commandments, your your fields will be full. Your fields, your storehouses, storehouses, your baskets when you go out to gather the crops, There'll be more than you can carry. You'll go against your enemy one way, enemy. They'll flee seven ways. And that's my promises. That's my placing, my epangelia, my promises. And you can, your hope can be depending upon my promises under one condition. By definition, the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy is a covenant. It's a testament. You have to obey me. If you disobey, if you disobey, I'll send, I'll send famine, I'll send disease. And he puts all kinds of words in here. I'll send the I'll send the sword against you. 
then it's just disobeying. Your part of this is to obey God. And he commands that when he says, deny self, take, A-I-R-O, take cross. But when you see take up your cross, you have to know what that means. They had to be condemned to a cross in the first century. You don't have a covenant with God without a daily cross, which is the same thing as a blood baptism. I didn't finish that last one there. That last word, baptized, E-N. When Peter is telling the story of being at the house of Cornelius in Acts 13, in Acts 10:47, he says, who can forbid water? The word forbid is an infinitive. It doesn't say who can forbid water. It says not the water forbid. And forbid is an infinitive. It's not a verb. It's an infinitive. He says, not the water forbid this water of the Pharisees proselyte naturalization halakha baptism forbid that because there's a better baptism and then he commands them to be baptized this is verse 48 Acts 10 48 10 48 he commands them to be baptized in the name to be baptized is one word in the Greek baptisthenai b-a-p-t-i-s t-h-e-n-a-i baptisthenai is an infinitive it is not a noun I mean a verb Tell him to go somewhere and be dipped in water. To be baptized, being an infinitive, it's a verbal noun. It's a noun any way you slice it. That's a person, place, or thing. It's a thing. To be covered all over. And this word in is that word in. When E-N is used with an infinitive, it only means no other thing but with or by. It means to be, it means to be washed with the name. Name is the word onoma. Onoma means authority. God's authority is his word. Authority means, that's the word onoma, name. It means to be baptized with the authority. With the authority which is the word of God, which is the Holy Spirit, which is truth. So he's not telling the people of the house of Cornelius, they are Gentiles. He's saying, I don't want these Gentiles being confused by proselyte baptism. No more. Not the water forbid. Tell them to be baptized with the name, which is a blood baptism, which is a death. It's a dying. 
by drinking of the cup. Now, let's go back over to Matthew, the 26th chapter. I was just thinking about this last night. I think about these things all the time. I can't get over them. I can't get over thinking about this. I kept thinking, how can the Passover be a part of the Testament? Now go back to Matthew. And I'm constantly trying to tie things together in my mind so I can see them properly. Here in Matthew, they're at the last Passover. The last Passover is a covenant or testament. If the last Passover was a covenant or a testament, then the first Passover was a covenant or a testament. It had conditions. There had to be blood involved. There had to be dying involved. There had to be, if there's a blood and a dying, to drink of a cup. To drink of a cup meant to undergo undergo a violent death. That's a blood baptism. That's also called drinking of a cup. It's drinking a cup. And it has to do with a testament. It has to do with a testament right here in Matthew, the twenty. Fourth chapter. Let me read it to you one more time. They're not eating and drinking crackers and grape juice. That's that's stupid. I don't know how in the world preachers haven't seen this. It's because somebody started it back 2,000 years ago after the death of Christ. A man named Cyprian is responsible for that. He lived in the third century. I keep saying, where did this cracker and grape juice come from? The the biblical scholars like Enoch Pond, Williston Walker, Backhouse and Tyler will tell you what they had was an agape love feast. Agape love feast, you'll find them having that in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. It's talking about the last Passover. The Passover as a ritual was blotted out. There according to Colossians 2.14. Now there is no literal Passover. There's a spiritual Passover because the Bible says in Exodus to the 12th chapter, the first Passover, that the Passover would be here forever. Well, if the literal or the letter was blotted out, The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. The spiritual Passover is still here. Four items at the Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5. 
Christ is the Passover lamb. Well, if he's the Passover lamb, then the rest of the Passover has to be spiritual. Number two, unleavened bread for seven days. You say, Jim, you've said this before. I've got new thoughts on this. Unleavened bread. What is the bread now? We being many are one bread and one body. We're the unleavened bread. Leaven was a type of sin. We have to be without sin in our lives. That's the inner man. He has no sin. And then you had four cups. Four cups of grape juice. There was no fermented wine at the Passover. It was impossible. Fermentation or leaven is the same thing we call yeast. And yeast sure does taste good, but that was against the law. They had to they had to go through the house, take a tapered lamp, look around the floor, on the walls, everywhere, and get all leaven out of the household the morning of the Passover, take it outside and burn it. The man that's having an affair with his stepmother in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, is called the leaven of the spiritual Passover. If you allow people to come into the church, he was sleeping with his mother, his stepmother. If you allow that to come into the church, a little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. There was four cups, and the third cup had an official title. It was called... According to Mr. Edersheim, in his book, the, the Templates Ministry and Services, he says, he was a Jew, he should know. He's converted to Christianity, born in 1825, died in 1889. He retained a lot of the culture of the Jews. He said the third cup of the Passover had an official title, Cup of blessing. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Well, that can't be literal. It was against Jewish law to drink human blood. You couldn't do it. You can look at Leviticus, the 17th chapter, and look throughout the Old Testament. Couldn't drink human blood. That was an idiom. It meant to die. The cup of blessing which we bless, it is not the communion of the blood of Christ. And the fourth item was bitter herbs. Bitter herbs. And the Lord kept telling Israel, if you go after these other gods, which they did for 510 years, they went after Baal and the Grove, the system that Kebrat Constantine brought in the church and renamed the Christ Mass. So God says, I'm going to make you drink bitter herbs or drink wormwood. And the fact they had sop, which was bitter herbs, at the last Passover... And Jesus, whoever dips in the sop with me at this last Passover, he's the one that will betray me. That's the bitter herbs. Now, I I think I've left out on something. So when he said, when Peter said, 
commanded him to be baptized in the name. In the, to be baptized is an infinitive. It's not a verb. So none of these words means to move into and come out of like immerse. And if you look up tomb, T-O-M-B, in the McClinican Strong, T-O-M-B, they will tell you to say that buried with him in baptism means to dip under that any self-respecting Jew would not be buried six feet in the ground. They were always put in tombs on a shelf. They had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were put in the same tomb at Machpelah. And they and Abraham was willing to buy that tomb. And him and his family were put in that and there were little shelves in there that they put the body on. So any self respecting Jew did not was not put six feet under the ground. You never saw that. They put him in a tomb. And they say in the McClinic and Strong under tomb that that would be alien to the Jew to say that baptize means to dip downward. Buried with him in baptism wouldn't mean that at all. So if you're gonna if you're gonna use water to show a baptism, what you'd have to do is get a great big fan to blow a wall of water up maybe six feet tall and keep the fan on it and contain the water and put a bunch of dye in the water and dip the man sideways. I don't know why I've studied this and nobody else knows how to study it. Baptize always bothered me when I was a kid. I was dipped by a man named Cal Sims, by my father about four or five times, by a man named David Cavan. D dipped me once, another preacher dipped me. My father kept dipping me, and all I felt was wet. I didn't feel holy. People say, oh, praise God, I feel great. I feel holy when I... I didn't feel nothing but wet as a little boy. I just don't believe in water. It's a ritual. Rituals kill. The Spirit giveth life. Now, I want us to read this one more time. We have a covenant with God. But there's two sides to it. You have to die. If you keep His covenant, you have to drink the cup or taste death. When the Bible speaks of tasting death, if you got my clinic and strong, you need to look at cup. Just look up cup. It'll tell you all these things about the cup. Now, look here in Matthew, the 26th chapter. They're at the last Passover. The Passover, the last Passover is being enacted. It was an act. That's what it was. They acted out their contracts, every one of them. They did a performance, like Ezekiel over there. In Ezekiel, the fourth chapter and fifth chapter, he laid down on one side, knocked over these clay things and saying, this is a picture of what's going to happen to Israel. It was a contract. Like when 
the Lord says, cut off the hair of Ezekiel and throw it into the fire, throw a third of it into the fire. That was an act. It was a performance. They performed all their contracts. Now look here at Matthew 26. 26. And now they're in the Passover. You can see what gets me, you read all through here, it never says crackers and grape juice. It does say they had to kill the Passover, talking about the lamb. There was a lamb here. And you can find the lamb had to be killed in Mark 14. Mark 14 is the same thing. It's Mark's account of the last Passover. Of the last Passover. Mark 14, verse 12. And the first day of the unleavened bread, which is the first day of the Passover, when they killed the Passover, they killed the lamb says the same thing over in Luke 22 which is Luke's account of the last Passover where Jesus says take eat this is my body alright Luke Luke 22 Luke 22 verse 1 now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh which is called the Passover and then he says in verse 7 then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed now go back to Matthew's account you see they had these four items there a lamb unleavened bread that's us now Four cups. The third cup was the cup of blessing. Jesus took the cup and blessed it. That was a cup of blessing. And the cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. To drink of a cup meant to undergo a death. So he says, and I said something here. You cannot have a covenant, a promise, without having a dying church or dying body the church is the body and the way we do that we can't partake of the body without dying without drinking the cup and the first thing that Jesus did he took bread and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said verse 26 take eat This is my body. And boy, everybody thinks, aha, we're supposed to do some magical thing by saying this is turning into the literal body of Christ like the Catholics or like the Baptists say, this represents the body of Christ uh, when you eat the bread and you're pretending it's his body. No. He's acting out of contract. He says, he gave it to the to the disciples said, take, eat, this esteen, E-S-T-I-N, represents my body. It actually means my body. Well, how many bodies are there? There is one body, Ephesians 4 and 5 and 4 and 4 and 5, one body, 
And what is the body? It's the church. In order to be in the body of Christ, you have to drink the cup. You have to die. These are those whose robes have been made white in the body of Christ. That's the redeemed. You have to be dying and drinking a cup and taking a cross and dying daily. There's many words that have the exact same meaning. There's many phrases that have the same meaning. These are called synonyms. A synonym in English means another word that means the same thing. If I said the wind blew real hard or the wind raged, raged and blew hard have the same meaning. Wind was a hurricane. It blew, it was raged. Well, raged and hurricane are basically the same. When you find words that mean the same thing, they're synonyms. This is something I do all the time when I'm teaching. Let me me erase some of these words up here. I can't teach baptism without teaching spiritual Passover. I can't teach covenant without bringing out spiritual Passover because you got it about talking about drinking the cup and that has to do with covenant. Remember, covenant and testament are the same words in the Greek. If they're the same words in the Greek, they mean the same thing in the Hebrew, bereth. In the Hebrew, the word covenant is bereth. That's the word covenant. And when you get into the word covenant, berith, they will tell you they had to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant meant to place two pieces of, of a lamb out here on a table or something and to walk between the pieces That meant a go-between. A go-between is a mediator. A mediator is a mesites. Mesites means the one who is a... We call it a lawyer. It's a go-between. It stands between us and God for our sins. And it's not us that appoints the go-between. That's the Father, and the go-between is Jesus. There's one go-between, one mediator between God and man. The man carries Jesus, and he forgives us our sins. and says, Father, this one is mine. That's what a covenant is for, And our sin is what separates from God, and we have to be reconciled back to God, back to what we once were when we were innocent babies. That takes us back to the fact that babies do not go to hell. We have to be reconciled 
because we start off innocent when we come to when we come to sin we go right straight to it we were innocent before that and then while we were in sin the bible says in galatians the third chapter while we were in sin god protected us from dying until we came to faith until faith came in our life we were hemmed in unto the faith so we have a go-between bereth a go-between a mediator between us and we have to be reconciled and the funny thing that word reconciled is going to connect with the blood baptism the word in the new testament reconciled is the word katalasso that is the verb form of katalage k-a-t-a-l-a-g-e-l-l-a-g-e that's the noun the word atonement is mentioned one time in the new testament one time it is the word you got reconciled over and over and over again well this word atonement let me show you here in romans romans this is the only time atonement is mentioned i got to match these up so you can see this atonement is mentioned over here in in Romans the third chapter oh wait a minute is that the, uh, let me read to you here in Romans the fifth chapter verse 8 but God commended his love toward us then while we were yet sinners Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood, by a blood baptism which is death to self, by the sprinkling of blood. You've got to know how the blood is applied. It was sprinkled, the Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled in the Old Testament. Now our hearts are sprinkled. The law is written on tables of stone kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. Over here in the New Testament, the law is written on fleshy tables of our heart. They had a, they had a, a, a the, rod of Aaron in the Old Testament inside the ark. Now we rule with the rod of scepter of righteousness, a rod. There was bread in the ark of the covenant over here. Now we being many of one bread and it's in our hearts. Now, then he goes on to say, this, we are saved from wrath, from orgay, Orge is the wrath of revenge that man wants to get. It's vengeance. It's the wrath of covetousness. You think somebody's cheated you, you're supposed to leave it alone and let God deal with it. We're talking about that on, on Wednesday. 
We're not supposed to ever get upset and get mad at anybody because God made the world the way they are. And he also made all the believers to be at different levels of maturity. A lot of them are children. Even if they're 40 or 50 years old, they're not grown up. How can you get angry at God's sovereign will? Then he says, we're saved from wrath. That's what we're saved from. We're saved from our own or gay. The longer we live, the longer we get over our vengeance and our revenge. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And we're reconciled is the word katalasso. But look at the next verse. The only time the word atonement is mentioned in the New Testament is this next verse. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the atonement, the katalage, the noun form. Atonement and reconciled are the same thing. It means to bring back to what you once were. That destroys the fact that babies go to hell. How can you be reconciled if you were born a sinner and born dead? You weren't. Then look over here in 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Here's this word. 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to get into this. My Bible's sticking together. I had to tape it together because it's falling apart. All right. Here's the word reconciliation, which is the same thing as baptize. In the Old Testament, when you find the word reconcile or reconciliation, it is the word reconcile in the Old Testament. Reconcile. A reconciliation is the word kafar. It's the exact same word as pitch the ark within and without with pitch. Pitch with pitch has the same meaning as baptize. Baptizo with babto. Both of those words mean to cover, to cover. That's the movement of an infinitive. It's a noun. To cover with a stain, to stain or die. And what was the reconciliation on the Ark of the Covenant? The priest came in the high priest and covered the Ark of the Covenant, sprinkled seven times the blood of the goat. It was the goat that was offered on the Day of Atonement, and Christ has made him to be sin for us or in our place. So, kafar with kofar has the same meaning as baptizza with babto. And that has the same meaning as the 
atonement on the Ark of the Covenant, that was the Kafar. So reconcile, and let me give you this word here, in this chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. The Bible says here, Let's look at verse 16. Wherefore, henceforth, we know no man after the flesh, even though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more as a man, but as our Savior. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Cathesis. You've been created. As many as walk according to this creation, the Bible says in Galatians, the sixth chapter, this is God's Israel. Peace be on them and upon the Israel of God. As many as walk according to this rule. Root is the word canon. The canon of Scripture is the word of God. It, uh, it comes from the word Cain. They use cane poles to measure boundaries and foundations and upright posts or upright walls. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. If, if your old man is not passing away slowly, little at a time, you're not a new creature, you're not going to heaven. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given the ministry of reconciliation. The word ministry, diakonia, is our word deacon. A diakonia was a household servant that waits on tables. There were seven deacons there in Acts the sixth chapter, and one of the big deacons was Stephen, and he was killed in the seventh chapter by the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. He was murdered by them. So he was the first martyr of the church. His was the first blood baptism in that seventh chapter of Acts. So if you're going to partake. Let me go ahead and finish reading this. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. When we preach, the word of God comes out of our mouth, which is a blood baptism. And it only takes on the elect of God from the foundation of the world. That's all it takes on. It's kind of like an old Kodak camera. It'll take whatever you pointed at. Or a camera will take whatever you pointed at. And if it doesn't take, it, it's like the blood washes on by the vessels of wrath, fit of destruction, and it doesn't take on them. But it takes on us, because we're blood baptized, which is a death. Jesus asked James and John, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Can you drink the cup that I drank of? Drinking of a cup and blood baptism are the same. So I can't teach the spiritual Passover without teaching 
the spiritual baptism, a blood baptism. I can't do that without telling you that these words were infinitives in Acts 10, 47 and 48. And over there in Acts, the second chapter, repent and be baptized, superimposing the name. And without sinking into, well, that's sinking into, this is superimposing the name. None of the words in means to sink into and come out of. Do not mean to immerse. I don't really care what people think. That's the truth. You can't even explain this reconciling. So he says in verse 18, All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of blood baptism. What we preach is reconciliation, which is death to self. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not everybody in the world, the world of the elect. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. That word, that word impute, logizomai, means to reckon. L-O-G-I-Z-O. It means a sign to a sign. Your trespasses are not a sign to you. They are a sign to Christ when he died on the cross for his elect family. That's all he died for. Here's what he means when he says he's given us the the ministry of... When you see reconciliation, you can put the word atonement. Since atonement and baptize have the same meaning, you can put the word baptize. He's given us the ministry of baptizing with blood. So when that takes you back to Matthew 28, the original the original word, the original at the end, Jesus goes up into northern Galilee, walks into a house through a wall, no doors, walked through a wall and appeared to them, and his last words to the apostles were Matthew 28. And he says, verse 19, Go ye therefore, eleven apostles, Judas is dead. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in ice, not sink into. It means giving it to them, giving them the reconciliation. We have a baptism of reconciliation. Ice means to sink into, but you don't come out of. You sink into clothing. That's the ministry of reconciliation or the ministry of baptism that we have. Let me tell you, you have no covenant with God if you're not blood baptized. Blood baptized means death to self. Everything that's... Do I have any time, Mike? Nine. Huh? Twenty-nine. All right, maybe I can get to this. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So everybody that comes are being taught to baptize in the name. You don't dip people in water. You dip them into the blood of Christ by a infinitive us aspersing the blood upon them through our mouths. That's the ministry of reconciliation. So when you've got the ministry of reconciliation, you've got... I keep saying this. I've said this more than... I've never heard anybody else even say it. How could Jesus have meant to go into all the world and dip people in water? There's no possible way when he's got his own baptism. Let me give it to you one more time. I've said this so many times, I've never heard anybody that knew anything about it. Because you have to read the right books. I've got a book. I picked it up at a used bookstore. I don't know, 25 years ago, I guess. Maybe 30. Picked it up at a used bookstore down here at Rivergate. And it's called The Harvest of Hellenism. Great book. Harvest of Hellenism. Hellas, H-E-L-L-E-S, was another term for Greece. It's actually the Grecian culture. To Hellenize someone was to teach them Greek, Greek, uh, sayings Greek idioms Greek metaphors Greek philosophy you say what does that have to do with the Bible the two most famous philosophies in the first century well known by everybody was the Epicureans and the Stoics. Paul used Epicurean terms all the time. He said, those that hate the cross of Christ, they serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies. That was an Epicurean term. If you didn't know what that meant, you're lost as a goose. You can look it up, but it won't tell you all that it's about. The belly was an Epicurean term. We think of Epicureans in our society as someone who's a connoisseur of good drinks and good food, and they go to some fancy restaurant to get all these these delectable things. The Epicurean said the belly was the seat of all sensual desires. It didn't mean the stomach. Not particularly the stomach. It could, but it meant the desire for sex, the desire for things, the desire for 
new camels, the desire for boats on the lake, the desire for anything that would fulfill your desires. That's what the belly was. Paul said that's when why men hate the cross of Christ. Their God is their belly. He said that in Philippians the third chapter. He said their God is their belly and their mind Froneo is on earthly things. Earthly is the word gay. Gay means soil or dirt. Well, that was an Epicurean term. Belly. When he said, Mark them whose causes of visions and offenses that are contrary to the doctrines you've learned and avoid these people because these served not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly. That was Romans sixteen seventeen. All of these Gentile new churches knew what the belly was. That was an Epicurean term. We're talking about a Stoic term. The Stoics said they had their sayings. A man named Zeno created Stoicism. And he said, and this has to do with the Great Commission. He said that all of the earth and all of the planets around us, the stars, the moon, the sun, Uranus, Jupiter, Venus, Saturn, and our solar system, as well as all the stars, he said it was one living entity. And he said the title for that entity was Cosmos. Cosmos means an orderly arrangement. An orderly arrangement. In fact, we get the word cosmetic from that. If you look up the word cosmetic in a Webster's Dictionary, it'll tell you it comes from the word cosmos. That's the same word in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, it's the word world. He didn't love the world. He so loved, so was an adverb. Adverbs tell how, when, where, and sometimes why. Tells how and what fashion God loved. So the fact that you have an adverb there, so it means it alters the word loved. He didn't love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau. Don't have time to go through that. So you could you get the word cosmetic. You get the word adorn. Wives adorn yourselves in a modest fashion. Adorn cosmos. Or cosmic cosmikos. Get the word cosmetic. Oh, we get the word cosmic, which means something that's not of earth. And you get your Webster's Dictionary and intercollegiate, and it'll tell you what words it comes from. Zeno said all of the universe and all of the stars was a cosmos. It was a living, breathing entity. And he said there was something that gave this, gave this entity life. And he lived around 315 B.C., maybe 320, 320. And John the Baptist is walking around 30 A.D. 
and he's going to baptize Jesus at least 330 years after Zeno. So Zeno came up with this thing. He said what gives the cosmos life was Numa P N E U M A and Pur. Numa is the word breath. You get pneumonia, which is P N E U M O N I A, from this word pneuma. It's a Greek word. Pur is the word fire. When John the Baptist in Matthew the third chapter said I baptize with water. I've got this. I'm baptizing with a proselyte baptism. Everybody who wants to come to Israel wants to come to Israel and be a member of the kingdom of God. That's what I'm baptizing with. But there comes one after me. Speaking of Jesus, he will baptize you with a Holy Ghost and fire. Everyone hearing in hearing distance knew what that meant. Because here's what he said. I'm going to baptize, he'll baptize you with Hagios Numa and Pur. They knew what Numa and Pur was. They knew that meant life. But this won't be just any life. This will be holy, Numen Per. Hagios means pure or single. You're going to have a blood baptism. Now, why? I've asked this question. Why would John say Jesus had a holy Numen Per or a life baptism, which is death to self, So he could have eternal life and be a part of the body of Christ. Why would he say that? And then go out and preach for three years, three years, be crucified, be crucified by the Pharisees at the hands of the Romans because he corrected their halakha every day. And why would he, after he resurrects from the dead, resurrects, goes to northern Galilee, finds the apostles, the eleven, in a house, and tell them, here's my last great commission. Go to all the world and dip people in water and perform John's baptism with water. And you know that baptism I have? You can forget that. You think Jesus had all said that or even meant that? No. Besides the word in means to sink into and not come out of. I think it's disgusting that the preachers are as lazy as they are. They will look these words up. They... Go along with water. The church has always done that. They have not. Even in the early church, when they believed in dipping in water, they had a process to that. You had to curse the devil before you went down in the water. When you got in the water, you cursed him again. You came up out of the water, you had to drink milk and eat some honey. 
You think that's going to do you anything spiritual? It's not. I'm just put out with these brilliant preachers in America, especially heads of seminaries. If you guys see me, something's wrong with you. You know what they're proud of? They're proud of their denomination. If you go anywhere outside the Baptist denomination, say baptism is not water, it's blood. They'll say, you're ostracized from us. You can't say that around our church. If you said to the Church of Christ, I told the Church of Christ lady one day, I said, she said, I go to the Church of Christ. I said, let me tell you what baptized means. And I went through this whole thing with her in about six or eight minutes. And I said, I'll give you a tape on that if you want it. It doesn't mean to immerse in water. It only meant that in a proselyte baptism. And the only reason the Pharisees did that, Jesus, they thought he was from Nazareth, the most filthy place upon the face of the earth in their mind, and nobody wanted to say Nazareth about anything. It was a place of filth. To say you're from Nazareth, it was like saying, I live at the city dump. I live in a septic tank. It used to be a septic tank. I think they cleaned it all out. I can still smell it. That's like saying I'm from Nazareth. That's why Bartholomew said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? When he said that, Jesus looked at him and said, behold a man in whom is no God. He tells you the truth. Everybody thinks Nazareth is a filthy place. Jesus of Nazareth wasn't a real pretty uh, phrase. Jesus of what? Now, do I have any time, Mike? We've put a lot on the board. It has to do, let me read this one more time. In Matthew 26, they're at the last Passover. 26 and 2 says the Passover will be here in two days. Two days pass in verse 17, and the apostles say, Where will thou that we should pray for thee to Passover? And Jesus says, I will keep the Passover in verse 18 with my disciples. And they made ready the Passover. And when even come, they sat down with the twelve. They did eat what? Crackers and grape juice? They were eating the Passover. Good grief, you preachers. And he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you will betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began one of them to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, The one that dips with me in the sop, it says sop in John 13, into the bitter herbs of the Passover, the same shall betray me. And the Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but warn to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And it had been good for that man if he'd never been born. People say, was Judas saved? I guess not. If you say about a man, it's better him never to have been born than to do what he did. But he did it by the will of God. And Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, it is I. And Jesus said, you said it, that's it. 
And as they were eating the Passover, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take heed, this is my body. Good grief. Why is it you guys, you preachers, haven't read any other verses on the body? You have to be baptized into the body. But not with water, with blood. How many bodies are there? Eat body. Means partake of body. How many bodies? One body. In Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, one spirit, one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one body. If there's one body and one baptism, you have to be baptized in blood to be in the body of Christ. The body, what is the body? Colossians 1. 18 and 24, the Bible says the body, the one body, is the church. So all of these are the same thing. One body, the church. One body, partake of one body. 1 Corinthians 10, 17. We, we, the, the people at Corinth, the believers, we be many, are one bread and one body. One body, the church. You have to, let's read the rest of this. Take, he gave it to the disciples said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup. To drink of a cup means to undergo a death. He's acting a contract. The word in. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to the... Excuse me, the word is. Esteem. Means, means, meaneth, or represents... He said, the cup, what I'm trying to say, here's what I mean when I say it, represents. He took the cup and gave thanks. That's the cup of blessing, the third cup of the Passover. Good grief. If you read Edersheim, you'll find it out. And gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it, drink all of the cup. If drinking of a cup meant to die a death, Can you drink the cup that I drank of in Mark the 10th chapter? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? He's talking to James and John. He's going to die on a cross the next day. A blood baptism was a death. Drinking of a cup was a death. Daily cross is a death. They all mean the same thing. Self-denial is a death. Confess to agree with and go out in public and say Christmas is pagan, Easter is pagan, God doesn't love everybody and predestination is true. That's agreeing with God publicly. That's confessing. And people want to kill you for that. 
He gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of the new covenant, testament. You have to die to have the testament. That's all there is to it. Somebody's got to want to crucify you figuratively. They want to separate from you and say, You're crazy. They might not kill you literally. For this is the New Testament, which is shed for many. He's talking about his blood, drinking of his blood. For the remission of sin. Remission of Festus means forgiveness. That's the go-between. That's forgiveness means to pardon and release from prison and have and reconcile us back to Christ. Where we were when we were young and innocent. Now, let me give you a couple of verses. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. Not 10, 12. 1 Corinthians 12. I can't get away from these same subjects. He's talking about the gifts of the Spirit through this 12th chapter. Everybody's got a different gift in the one body. Verse 11. For all these worketh that one and self-same Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will in the body of Christ. For as the body is one, one body, take eat, this is my body, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, which is the church, Colossians one eighteen and 24, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit's truth, are we all blood baptized? doesn't say blood baptized, but it has to. Because the way you get into the body of Christ, you have to be washed in the blood, and that's a blood baptism. And he does the washing. He's washed us from our sins in his own blood. That's a death. If you're not dying daily somewhere in your life, you don't belong to Christ, you're not in the church, that's the way it is. And you can't get in by your will. You have to get in by the will of God. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Greeks, whether we bond or free, and have been made all to drink into one spirit of drinking of that cup. The Holy Spirit's truth. When you drink of truth, it comes out of your mouth. And people want to kill you for that. Look at a verse over here in Ephesians. I just saw it yesterday, and I never connected it to this. Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. I'm going to stay on this covenant thing. It has to do with dying. All right. 16, I believe it is. Verse 16. Let's read 15, 16. Having abolished, verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, ekra, the hostility between us and God, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances which have been nailed to the cross according to Colossians 2.14. For 
to making himself of two one new man. So making peace. Verse 16, I just saw this last night. That he might reconcile, katalaso, baptize both into unto God in one body. The way you get in the body is by blood baptism, by katalaso, or atonement. You can substitute atonement for that word. Where are you going? Won't you wait till we're through, okay? That we might reconcile both God, reconcile both unto God in one body, which is the church. By the cross, not by Jesus' cross only, but by the daily cross, death to self. Reconcile is the same word as baptize, blood baptize, into one body, the church, by the daily death to self. It's by drinking the cup. Or daily cross, same thing. If any man will come after me, deny self, take up his cross, and follow, Akulatheo be in the same way with the same narrow way. Take, deny, and follow are all imperative commands. Am I out of time, Mike? I've got so much more to say on this, I can't even really get into it. I got much to say about the body. The body is the church. You got the word saved. You got the word body is the word soma. Soma. It is a form of sozo. Sozo is the word saved. Saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be sozo and you can only be saved if you're in the soma, the body of Christ. And it comes from, we get the word S-O-S from soma. S-O-S. What does that mean? When you're on a deserted island you make uh, the words S-O-S to some airplane, that means save me. That's what it means. comes from the word sozo. And the word body and body and saved, he's going to save his body, the church. It's it's amazing to me. And from these, the word sozo means save or deliver, and save means to be taken from one point all the way to another point, and to be preserved or deliver means to preserve. You don't get saved one night. You don't get unwashed with the blood of Christ. The blood never goes away. It's an infinitive. Infinitive comes from the word infinite. Once you're washed in the blood of Christ, it is permanent. And a blood baptism is a death. And you will begin to die daily. Just like Paul said, I die daily in that 15th chapter. And he said, take up your cross daily and follow me. And if you don't take your cross, you cannot be my disciple. You can't go to heaven without a daily cross. Disciple, mathetes, means to learn how can you obey Christ. 
How can you obey Christ if you can't learn what the Bible says? You're going to have to have a hunger for the truth somewhere along the way. You're going to be hungry for it. I don't know why people don't study their Bible. We have to be soma, and we get the word soter, which is the word deliverer or savior, S-O-T-E-R from these words, soter. Savior. They're all kin to one another. Savior and soteria. S-O-T-E-R-I-A is the word salvation. You don't have any salvation outside of the blood of Christ, which is a blood baptism, which is death to self. Like I said, why would Jesus tell his apostles, go into the world and wash people in water when that's not when he's got a baptism of his own. And when he died just a couple of days before on the cross, all the rituals were nailed to the cross with him. <sighs> Man, I've got much more on this. I, I I have a hard time getting into it all. There's one spirit, one body of Christ. Ephesians 4.12 We are in the whole body. He's the Savior of the body. Ephesians 5.23 He is the head of the body, which is the church. In Colossians 1.18 And the body is of Christ. Colossians 2.17 You're all called in one body. First, in one body, in First Thessalonians 5.23. I could read all these. I'm out of time, it looks like. There's so much more. I'll, I'm through. I'm going to come back. You don't have a covenant without fulfilling your part of the covenant. God said, the Lord said in I believe it's the 89th Psalm. Though you don't keep my statutes or my commandments, I'm not going to forsake you, Israel. Though you don't keep your part of the covenant, I'll visit your transgression with the rod. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Sometimes, Lord, I don't know what to say. It seems like I keep saying the same things over and over. But they all connect together, Lord. They're all part of the great scheme, the great schematic of your word. I pray that you'll deal with the hearts of the believers, open up doors for this ministry. And Lord, we'll preach this until the day we die. Just give me the strength and give the people strength to bear with the ministry. Fight our battles, Lord. We're not going to fight anybody. And let this message go and accomplish whereto you send it. We'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. I didn't even know what I was going to teach on today. Well, we said a lot, didn't we? 
I love the truth. And I, have y'all noticed how it just all blends together into one picture? Let me give you something. Hold on. I'll give you something here. I'm going to give you some money here. I carried the money for the needy. That's all it's for. Take care. I love you, man. Take care, Russ. Well, I hope people got a hold of this out there over the airwaves. Without a daily cross, you're not in the body. <laughs>